and I just really want to thank you for the welcome and um, and the worship. Um, I, I I'm in a kind of a low church environment, which means that most of my fellowship is very small. And, uh, and you know there are different ways that God um, calls us and moves us and. Uh, Israel's a pretty different place. There's a lot of uh, history with Jesus and Christians and, you know, people who uh, call themselves Christians. And so um, there's a, it's really important to, uh, to, to be real and, um, and to be like a spiritual, have a spirituality that's, that's natural. And I think it's important for all of us too important. I mean, I'm, I'm on a journey since 1980 of, of uh, discovering who this God is that we're serving. And um, I've been through lots of different environments and, and learned so much. And, um, and yet, you know, it, what I see more and more is that the more that we get to know the Lord, the more we just keep going lower. Just keep going lower and lower, and um, and he takes us to places that we never kind of dreamed that we would go to. He's he's quite an adventurous person, you know, God Jesus. Uh, I just went. I t I'm a piano tuner, and I just went to to tune a piano for an artist, and his grandfather was Percy Crawford. And Percy Crawford was the first radio evangelist in America. And they still have radio stations right in Pennsylvania. But this guy is an unbelievable artist. His name is Richard Crawford. And he painted, he, one of his themes is that he paints the crucifixion. Have, has anyone ever heard of him or seen any of his stuff? His picture of the crucifixion, you know, you get these pictures of the crucifixion. When Jesus is wearing a long, he's wearing a loincloth, right? And he's got a few slashes on his body, right? And Isaiah 53 says that he was marred beyond human likeness. And this guy paints like that. He paints these limbs, just these this human shape that's a complete mass of blood. So, you know, I think about my work in Israel is really to, you know, to represent him in a way that's really authentic because Jews were, cruci you know, were crucified and were, were, were slaughtered in, on, under regimes that claimed to be Christians. So the issue of authenticity, not only there, but everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's so much religion, there's so much tradition that we, that we uh, can easily fall into. And we can lose, uh, or not even sometimes even discover, what it actually means to be human as a Christian. What does it mean, this incarnational reality of God with us, God in me? You know, and this exhortation, take Jesus home with you. Yes, of course you're going to take him home with you, right? If you're born again, you're going to take him home with you. The question is, what are you going to do with him when you get there? I wanted to talk about prayer. I'll tell you a little bit about Israel, just a couple of things. God has really called me to get back into music. I play piano and guitar and percussion. And he has blessed me with three gorgeous instruments in the past two months. Like he's saying, I want you to do music. <laughs> I was trained, I had seven years of classical piano. I picked up the guitar when I was about 12 years old. 
And so I can play, you know, I, not bad. I might even play a song for you about this theme that I'm going to do. But you he's. <laughs> yeah, you played yeah, it already. Yeah, I did. So music is, is something that I do a lot of in Israel, but I'm also a counselor. I do a lot of, my main gifting, I call the redemptive gifts of the spirit. My main gift is encouragement. And that's because I've been so messed up and broken. You can see, I can't even talk to people when I'm crying. And I'm not ashamed of it, it's okay. You know, it's all right. This is, this is where I live. And, and you know, the Lord wants us to be ourselves. He wants our spirituality to be natural. He doesn't want us to fake things and put stuff on. The whole Sermon of, on, on the Mount was, was, was a way of, 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 of showing people that external performance-based religion is dead. It really is a hopeless thing. And God in us and God with us is the reality that we are carrying. So I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about the, the amazing opportunity and reality of this issue of communication and communion with, with the supernatural being who created all things and created us. But um, just to go back, I'm doing more music in Israel. I've been ministering to a guy with multiple personality disorder. I mean, God has completely stretched me out to a whole new dimension because I, I've done some deliverance ministry. But now these people who do deliverance have discovered that you can't get certain personalities out of there because they're actually fragments of the, of, of the, real, uh, of the real person. There's inner healing stuff that has been going on in the, in the body, especially in the past 30 years. There are some really excellent ministries, people who've taught me all kinds of stuff. Because when you get saved, you know, you've got the same soul and the same body that you had before you were saved. And the issues of the heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Okay, that doesn't change in the new covenant. It's still true. Psalm 139 is still true. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the, and the developments in your life have had a profound effect on who you are. And God wants to interact with you along those lines. He says, search me. You think that's that the end of Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Is that because God doesn't know? Or is it because you don't know? You're giving him an invitation to come in and to, to, to discover the issues of the heart, which are deep waters, so that you can grow in your appreciation and in your understanding, not only of God, but of yourself as well. He wants you to understand. Now, it's a, it, we're made in the image of God, so we are very profound creatures. And, and the journey, the inward journey, and I'm not talking about introspection. I'm talking about understanding the issues of my life in the light of God's truth. Amen. This is a journey. It's a wonderful and amazing journey, but it takes courage. And this is one of the things that's most important about prayer. It takes courage. Why is prayer? Why is that devotional time so difficult? What is it? That's what we want to talk about because I know you want to, you sit down, you pray, and your mind starts going a mile a minute, and the phone starts ringing, and there's all kinds of stuff that wants to get in the way of that miraculous encounter between you and God, right? Now, you've heard some of these things before, okay? It's not, this is not going to be all new, but I really want to encourage you in this, in this. For me, should I say any more about Israel? Yeah. Okay. So I'm doing this counseling stuff. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing music. I'm, uh, there's a harp ministry. I'm going to play percussion. I, I have a djembe, and I love to play djembe. So I'm going to play for a, a recording of the 24 harpists on Mount Zion. I have all of these. Oh, boy, I could. You know, on the Mount Zion. On, you know, I mean, yeah. The Mount Zion. Really to, but, you know, and so it's not, it's not easy sometimes. To, 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 be, to be a representative, to be somebody who's there. Because God is restoring Israel as a nation and the church is becoming 
aware of, uh, of this historical miracle of the resurrection of the nation. And it is. Many believers don't know that the prophets did predict that the Jews will return to the land and this will be a sign of his soon coming. And even Isaiah and uh, Hosea in chapter 6 where it says, um, I have smitten you, but I will bind you up. I have wounded you, but I will heal you after two days. I will restore you on the third. This is Hosea chapter 6. It's the first two. It's on the, I will restore you and you will live in my sight. Lord said that a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. So 2,000 years from the resurrection is coming right up. It's, it's, we're on the very doorstep. Now, that reflects the unity between the Messiah and the nation that gave birth to him. Because remember when Matthew said, out of Egypt I have called my son. This was just to fulfill what the prophet said, out of Egypt. Jesus goes down to Egypt. And Matthew says, this is to fulfill what the prophet said, out of Egypt I have called my son. Right? But that was about the nation of Israel, right? So the fulfillment of one prophecy, it has two fulfillments. Because Israel was taken out of Egypt and Jesus was taken out of Egypt. So there's a hermeneutical principle there, and there are other examples of it. There's a very intimate relationship between the nation of Israel and the Messiah of Israel. Three years after the Holocaust, what happened? It just happened to be three years. You know, it could have been four, it could have been two, it could have been seven, but it just happened to be that three years after the war ended in 1945, 1946, 1947, 1948, what happened? This is not something that you have to, you know, that you have to kind of uh, get a guru to figure out. It's on the front page of the newspapers. Zechariah said, he said, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of poison. Can we get rid of this piece? A cup of poison. A cup of poison. I have to modulate the <laughs> Practice. It's practice. Practice. Thank you. He's a good pastor, isn't he? He's, he's so helpful, you know. He really cares. <laughs> I will make Jerusalem a cup of poison. That's what it says. Ra'al in Hebrew means poison. And a burdensome stone that will give you a rupture if you try to lift it. You know what a rupture is. It's not a good thing. Your lifting days are over. Okay, that's it. He said Jerusalem will become a cup of poison and a burdensome stone. Now, a hundred years ago, nobody talked about Jerusalem. Nobody thought about Jerusalem. It was a dusty backwater town in the middle of the Ottoman Empire that only people who read the Bible thought about. What's going on now? Trump. We have an opportunity. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if something is happening in the world, right in front of our faces every day on the new, on, on, in, in the papers, and, and, and we say, look, yeah, the prophet said Jerusalem is going to be a real problem. All of the nations are going to turn against it. And it's there in the United Nations, all of these re resolutions and all of this opposition to, to, um, to, to Israel. They never talk about the injustices in other countries, but Israel's always on the map there. Why? Because the nation, because Satan hates what God does and anything that he calls by his name. Mm. So the world comes in opposition. All of the nations are being gathered against Jerusalem and it's happening right in front of everybody's eyes every day. Right? It's not hidden. And the Lord is going to restore the Jewish people. He's going to bring about a spiritual revival, a spiritual renewal that's already happening. And that's what I'm participating in there. Amen. I'm in prayer and, and, and I'm an intercessor. I pray and God has given me uh, a lot of pain because Israel has suffered probably as much or more than any other nation on earth. 
And Jesus said that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering, with grief. And Israel is one with Jesus, and Israel suffers. Now, Jesus was crucified at the foundation of the world, it says in the book of Revelation. Suffering is essential to the very fabric of creation. It was there at the very beginning when God decided, I want a world. He knew. He knew he would create beings who have a sphere of sovereignty. You have a sphere of sovereignty. It's you. It's your will. It's your body. It's your soul. You're sovereign. God gave you sovereignty. Why? Because he's sovereign. And God created us in his image. So he created beings who have a sphere of sovereignty. It's their will. It's their body. It's their, their entity, their, their, their uh, nature to be sovereign. You have sovereignty. You have an ability to choose. And you know, there are, there are theologies that say that everything that you, that you do is already pre-programmed and everything that happens is so, you know, you don't even have to witness hardly because everybody who's gonna be saved is already saved and, and in God's mind it's all a done deal. Whoa, be careful. Because you need to have a Hebraic mind. You need to hold free will and sovereignty in the same package because they're both true. And you may not be able to figure out how they're both true in the mind of, of God or in the mind, but they're both true. God is sovereign and you are responsible. That's right. And you have a sphere of sovereignty in your life. And what you choose, whatever you're doing a lot of, you'll get good at what you practice. Are you repeating something over and over again? If it's a good thing, you're getting better at it, and it's yielding good fruit. Amen. So you have a will to do, and God is at work. He wants to inspire you. He's constantly there seeking to inspire you in what you, will, uh, what you, what you do, because you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, because God is at work in you to do and to will his good pleasure. So you have an opportunity. So these things that are happening in Israel are, they're encouraging, they're exciting, but they're also, um, they're also pointing to a moment that's coming. There's a, there's, there's a moment that's coming and we're, we're getting on the threshold of it. The powers of the world that are spoken of in Psalm 2. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his Messiah. Psalm 2 has never been more relevant than it is right now. You should know Psalm 2, because if you do, you can begin to laugh with the Lord, and you're gonna need laughter in the days to come. You're gonna need the joy of the Lord in the days to come, because the enemy is shaping his final ploy. And if you're watching things and you're aware of what's going on, you can see the enemy is shaping his final deadly offer to humanity. And it's going to be a false peace. Isaiah 28 says Israel is making a covenant with death and hell. That's this Israel. This Israel that I love, this Israel that is in the world today, resurrected by the will of God, but has a government that is in communication with the kings of the earth. So we've got a real paradox here because the very nation, the very resurrection, the very testimony of God's historical sovereignty and promises to the Jewish people is going to experience a counterfeit peace. It's very clear in the scriptures. Israel is going to make a covenant with death and the leaders there are not talking about it enough. Because the prosperity gospel in the American church has leaked over to Israel. A lot of the leaders are Americans. 
And Americans have no idea how much the prosperity gospel has actually infected us. Our theology of suffering, our, our understanding of persecution and the ways in which God uses suffering to shape our souls and to train us. And I'll give you some verses on this, okay? Count it all joy, brethren, when you meet with trials of various kinds. These are various kinds. These are for the perfecting of your faith, that you may be perseverance, patience, must finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. We're talking about a process of sanctification, okay? Paul says, I fill up in my flesh the, the sufferings lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Uh, he says again in Romans that suffering produces uh, perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in, the, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see the, the red thread that goes from the trials, from the sufferings, whatever they are, into a character. Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, okay? Because you have kept the word of my patience. That's logos in Greek. You have kept the, the essential spiritual understanding of my patience. I will keep you from the hour of trial which is coming on the face of the whole earth to test and try the souls of men. You're going through troubles. You're going through trials. You need to pray. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him call for the elders. Everybody says that. I don't know how people get that wrong, but it's wrong. Is anyone among you sick? Call for the elders. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him. That's right. It's the simplest, one of the simplest, most straightforward verses in the Bible. So how do you grow in your love? How do you grow in your character? How do you grow in your relationship and your appreciation for, for Jesus. Your sufferings are intended to lead you into an intimate, passionate, and wrestling relationship That's with it. the living God. Yes. That's what it's intended for. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a whole realm of intercession that can come out of your trials, out of your sufferings. A whole realm of intercession. You can sanctify your pain through prayer. Is anybody in this room suffering from anything at all? You don't have to raise your hands. Are you, are you longing for something? Are you lonely? Are you caring for somebody who's not saved yet? Or do you have a relative or a friend who has some problems? Do you have any health issues in your life? Are, are you just okay? You're just fine, you know. And, and anyway, Jesus died for me, and so I'm okay. I'm not really suffering. I don't have any, any past issues. I don't have any struggles. Are you suffering from sin patterns that you haven't told anybody about? Yes. Prayer is the lifeblood of your faith, okay? You know, you know, I've used the word of God a little bit here today, right? Yep, I mean, I, I, that's not the only scripture that I know. I know a few more. There's a lot more I could learn. But you know, Martin Luther said something amazing. He said, he who has prayed well has studied well. He was an incredible student of the Word of God. But he said, who has prayed well has studied well. Do you know you can learn things in prayer that you never dreamed that you could ever understand? So true, yeah, so true. But you know how hard it is to have a deep prayer life? Come on. Did you ever notice how difficult it is to get down with God? It's hard. Yes. Why? Why is it hard? Right, Lord. First, first, it's hard 
Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But every single time you tune your attention up into that place that, you, that, that somebody is up there, that you believe that somebody is up there, every time all you have to do is turn your attention in that direction yep. and you've exercised faith and you've pleased God. You haven't said a thing. You haven't said anything. Jesus. You haven't done anything. All you have done is turned your attention to this invisible being and instantly you have pleased him. Amen. Did you know that? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's encouraging, isn't it? Now remember, when you go into prayer, immediately you get that sort of, that kind of interesting feeling. You know that feeling? What kind of words would you put on that feeling? You know, you go into prayer and immediately something happens. Why? Because when you draw near to God, what happens? Yes, and God is a person. He's a spirit being, right? So when you draw near to him, immediately he draws near to you. It's not that he's, that he's been gone, but you know how easy it is to grieve the Holy Spirit. You just ignore him a little bit. Just get involved in something worldly or... You know, it's, it's easy to grieve the Spirit. But it's also easy to please him. Because he is a truly a lover. Right? We, we've heard it. We've sung it. Thank we know it. God is truly a lover. But it's hard. And why is it hard to pray? Distracted because the enemy's against it. I don't like to speak when I have nothing to say. ago, I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. I saw the tick on my thigh. I went out for a walk in the woods. Lyme disease is everywhere. It's a terrible illness. And I, got, I was afraid. You know, people say that Job actually got hit by the devil because he was afraid of what would happen to his kids. I disagree. Why? Because the scripture says something different. The scripture says that Job's affliction was the result of an argument between God and Satan, of a contention between God and Satan. Why did God, Jesus, have to prove to Satan when he knew it wasn't going to make any difference to him? Why did he have to prove to Satan that Job would love him if he took away the hedge of protection? you ever ask God a question like that? Because it pertains to you and me. Do you think Job was the only one who had to prove his love for God through suffering? <laughs> they say that Job was the first book written in the Bible. Right? It's the earliest book the scholars say. So there's a prototype there. There's a teaching that the most righteous and blameless man in the world who was protected, he was wealthy, and the Lord took away the protection, and what happened to him? First of all, he lost all his stuff, right? His 10 children and everything. And then the devil said, what did he say? Does anybody remember? What did the devil say the second time the Lord was going to let him have it, Job? Take, anybody remember? Take away his health. 
He said something really, really evil and, 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 and strange. He said, skin for skin touch his body and he'll curse you to your face why did the Lord have to prove this Job was a picture of Jesus and the Lord the Father is relentless in wanting to reproduce the revelation and identity of his son in the world. God loves the father, loves the son so much. He's his expressed image. They're so intimate. They're really one. It says that, that Jesus is the image, the exact representation of the father, right? He's the, he, and he says all the fullness of deity dwells bodily in him, even in his human form. Think of what he had to suppress in order to become a human being. Why did he have to do this to Job? He wanted to reveal the person and work of his son in a righteous man. And people say Job doesn't know why he suffered. But who wrote the first pages of Job? Didn't he know, finally, that his suffering was a contention? Maybe he didn't understand the fullness of it in terms of the, the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. But he certainly knew that, that his suffering was a contention between God and Satan. Because the Lord is picturing himself. And people who suffer without complaining. Peter says this. He says, if you suffer un unrighteously, if you suffer for sin, there's, not, there's, there's no benefit in it. But if you suffer unrighteously, why? Because you're like Jesus. We say, I want to be like Jesus. Paul says, I want to be like Jesus. Paul says, I want to fill up in my flesh the sufferings lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. There are so many ways you can do that. You don't just have to go to Lystra and get stoned. You can sanctify all of your suffering in your life as fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. You can make that offer to God. You can say, I'm willing to, to sanctify my pain, my inner pain. I'm willing to be a priest. I'm willing to pray out of my pain. I suffered a lot of loneliness in my life. And I started thinking about prostitutes on the streets who were infinitely more lonely than I could ever be because they were abused every single day and their souls were shattered. And I said, God, if I'm lonely, I've got I've to not waste it. I've got to not waste this emotional pain. I've got to sanctify this pain. You want to take your sufferings and pray out of them. Pray for the solution. James said, it, it, do you lack wisdom? Okay, he's talking about the trials. He says, right in the same thing, James says, he says, count it joy when you meet with trials of various kinds. These are for the perfecting of your faith. Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But if any among you lacks wisdom, ask. Now, what's the context? I was taught to read the Bible contextually, grammatically, historically, and, and compare it in scripture to scripture, right? So I'm looking at the verses that are nearby. And if James says to me, if you lack wisdom, and I'm looking, well, wisdom, why is he talking about wisdom? Well, he just told me that I'm, that I'm, I'm supposed to rejoice when I have trials. But he's not just leaving me there. He's telling me, he's saying, ask, what's going on here, Lord? Do I have diabetes and I don't stop eating five candy bars every day? I mean, is that my problem? Or is there a, a generational issue? Is there some deep root in me? What's going on? What do I need to change in myself? Right? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my 
Now, the, the translation is anxieties, but the Hebrew word is very interesting. It's a rarely word used in, in the Bible. It's sarpai. And it, it, it expresses, in some ways, it expresses almost like, I think of, like the synapses in the brain. So the idea is, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and there's this stuff going on in my soul and in my mind. So I need you to unpack those things and to show me, is there somebody that I haven't forgiven? Is there some wound in my life that I'm still suffering from and I, I need to ask you, Lord, to please come in and minister the balm of Gilead. Touch me in this place in my soul where my, I've been wounded. See, this is, this is the process that God restores. It says Psalm 23, he restores my my soul. Now, in much teaching in the church, you would almost think you don't have a soul. All you have is a spirit. Your soul, your soul is so corrupted, your soul is so messed up that you just need to leave all of that stuff behind. Don't think about your soul anymore. Don't even be emotional. Just praise God. No. You praise God all the time, absolutely, but you also allow him into the issues of your heart and of your life, and that's where your prayers are. That's another reason why it's hard to pray, because when you start to pray, you're going to discover things about yourself that you don't want to feel, that you don't want to see, that you don't want to remember anymore. You have an opportunity to turn what was evil and to mean it for good. That person, your boyfriend, who left you when you were 16 and who screwed around with you and messed over your life and took your virginity. And you don't think that was, well, well, that's what they do these days. Yeah, you gave the most precious gift of your whole life to someone who couldn't care a crap about you and walked away and ran away with it. And you don't think you were wounded by that? I used to do uh, abortion counseling. Some of the stories are horrendous. What it's like for a woman to take a, a, a baby out of her womb. You know, the Lord said, weep with them that weep. You know, he recognized the fact that we are emotional. Jesus is an emotional being. Amen. Somebody just wrote a book that God has no emotions. I can't, I couldn't believe it. Almost that he's just, you know, he's just kind of this formalistic CEO up there. That's not who Jesus is. It was the fact that he had compassion on people, that he was able, that he was healing them. Not able, he was able to heal everybody. But it was, but it was his compassion that went out because he felt with people. That's right. That's right. You got to feel with yourself. You can acknowledge the fact that you're wounded inside and bring those deep things to the Lord. But why is it hard to pray? Because it's easier to eat chocolate. It's easier to watch TV. It's easier to mount up your body. Jesus, thank you, Lord. You can do all kinds of things to avoid the issues of your life. Don't get down with God. Now you've got your tape going through. You sit down and have your prayer time. You've got your tape going through, right? Mm, it's yeah. your tape. You know, call it your tape. <laughs> it's the thing that runs through your head all the time. You know, all the things that you need to take care of. And you think, oh, I'm never going to get through this. I can't get through this. I sit down, I try to pray, and I've got 40,000 things on my mind that I, can, that I don't know what to do about, right? Is it the truth or not? Come on. You think this still doesn't happen to me? When I was about two years old in the Lord, I read a book by a guy named E.M. Bounds. He's the best writer on prayer that I've ever, ever read. He's written about seven books on prayer that you can get the whole thing. He might not do to you what he did to me. But this guy was, his books were so bathed in prayer. The anointing for prayer was so heavy on this guy's books that I just, and I was a Buddhist before, so I was into meditation. I was used to sitting meditation for like, you know, two hours at a time, right? So I would sit and cross-legged 
you know, I went up to Maine, I was a lumberjack, and I was sitting across, <laughs> sitting across and I would go to this guru and he would tell me, no, you don't have it yet, you need to worship yourself more. And <laughs> I mean, that's basically every other religion. You shall be as gods, right? There's two religions. Either you're God, either you're God or God is God. That's true. That's it, that's all there is. Every other form. So I read Ian e. Bounds, and I said, wow, this is the Christian way to meditate. <laughs> and I've already got the will to do it, you know, I've got the practice. So it was actually a benefit for me. But I was really convinced by this man's exegesis and his encouragement in these books that prayer was the lifeblood of faith. If you get that. If you get that, and you do, it says devote yourself, be devoted in prayer. You know, and you think, well, why do I have to know God? Like, why do I want to know God? Really, why? It's nice he died for me. But, you know, there's all kinds of things that I want to do. And know and feel well, that's your sovereignty, isn't it? But the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you discover that knowing God and becoming like him and entering in even to the fellowship of his sufferings is the most wonderful and excellent pursuit that any human being can enter, you're on the right track. You're on the narrow way. And the way is narrow and few find it. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's an interesting paradox here, isn't there? Because the saints in heaven are without number, right? I mean, it says that. And yet, the Lord says, many are called, but few are chosen. And the way is narrow and few find it. What could this mean? It's worth praying about. <laughs> There's a choice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, says. I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy. Is he talking to unbelievers? He says, then you will know what is God's good and perfect and pleasing will. You want to know the will of God, but you've got all kinds of side pursuits that you're interested in following as much or even more. You're not going to get on the narrow way. You may be saved. You probably are. Because God's grace and his mercy are very wide. But the way narrow, and the Greek says, Thlibo is, I don't know a lot of Greek, but I know this one. It means hard-pressed. When Paul said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are persecuted, but never abandoned. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We always carry around in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest. These are verses, these are verses, right? I mean, this is meat, right? The narrow way is the meaty way, okay? It's not Joel Osteen's message. And there's a lot of other guys who are giving it in different ways. The narrow way is a way of affliction because you're following the man of sorrows, but you're becoming like him more and more and more as you follow him through the narrow way. So you discover, and if you offer your body as a living sacrifice, if you say, Lord, I'm going to count the cost. I'm, I'm ready to pay the cost. I want to store my treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't uh, corrode and thieves don't break in and steal. I really want the best life. Like the rich young ruler, he could have said, I'm going to sell everything that I have and follow him because he said, I'm going to have riches in heaven if I do that. 
He didn't just tell me to sell everything here. He promised me treasure where I was asking for it. You want treasure in heaven. Do you really want? And it's not just about the rewards. It's about intimacy with the Lord. There it is. Because the greatest thing, the greatest treasure of all is knowing the creator who made you. That's the real treasure of life. The opportunity as a human being to enter into the very passions and heart and reality of who God is. We don't know him. We know him, but we don't know him. The God whose, whose thoughts are beyond numbers, who created the stars, whose mysteries are so profound. He says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Did you ever hear that verse? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Did you ever think, what does that mean? So there are mysteries. There are secrets. There are things he reveals, his secrets to those who fear him. And God has wonderful, amazing secrets for every single person Amen. who really wants to know his heart and to know him. He's a beautiful, mysterious, amazing being. And if you're looking at God and saying, why did you do this? What was the cost benefit of all the astounding suffering that I am experiencing and that I am witnessing in this world? Why did you do this? Did you ever ask that question like the way Job did? And the way people who have looked up to heaven, the mother whose, whose child was, who ran over her own two-year-old in, in the driveway. Hello? If you're not aware of the astounding pain and suffering, he said there's a blessing on them that mourn. Didn't he say that? Blessed are them that mourn. Well, there's nothing to mourn about in this world. I've got Jesus, and I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got this church. I don't have anything to mourn about. You do. You have something to mourn about. Your own complacency is what you should be mourning about. Mm. Wow. We need to weep. He was a man of sorrows. We need to feel compassion for the sufferers of this world. And we need to enter into the redemptive process with Christ. Don't we? Our neighbors. Prayer is one of the most powerful and, and effective ways to do that. You just take up a prayer burden for your neighbors. Take it up and say, look at this person. They're suffering. They're into this terrible darkness. I walk through the Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem and I see the filth. These people are so religious, they can't even pick up garbage on the streets. It's filthy there. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They're so busy studying the Torah that, that all they can think of is where they're going to get money to buy the $400 shremel that they, that they need to, to have so that they can look right to the rest of the community. I walk through these neighborhoods, and I'm just, you know, Psalm 109 is amazing. Psalm 109, amazing psalm. You should read Psalm 109. Psalm 109 is all about somebody who's been betrayed, and how he's been righteous, and he's been betrayed. I think it's, it's, it's David's psalm. And he says, they hate me. They hate me. They, they're trying to destroy me. They're, they're um, ridiculing me. They're, it's terrible what they're saying to me, but I am prayer. It doesn't say I pray. Hmm. It literally says Ani I am prayer. Do you know that you can actually be prayer? You can be so engaged with God that your whole be, be, spirit, soul, and body just become a prayer to God. Jesus was a prayer to the Father. He became a sacrifice. Prayers are in heaven. They're in a vial. They're a, they are a substance. Prayers are a perfume. They're an incense. They're an essence. It's there in the book of Revelation that the angel is holding a, a, a cup of the prayers of the saints. Do you know that your prayers are substantial? They actually have an essence. They have a perfume. They're, now, why? That God is spirit. And prayers are this essence 
that goes up, it's like an energy. When the animals were sacrificed on the altar, what went up to God? It was a sweet smelling savor. He liked barbecues. I mean, God likes, he likes the smell because it's the essence of the animal that's going back. But in the New Testament, what kinds of, of uh, sacrifices do we offer? What kind? It says, Peter says, we offer spiritual sacrifices. Okay? We're offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? So actually, when we do that, we begin to become a constant, sweet-smelling savor to God. And the more that you cultivate that, the more that you enter into that presence, the more that you even labor in prayer. There was a guy named Epaphras that uh, Paul mentions in Colossians. He says he's always laboring for you and for those at Laodicea. He says, says he's praying for you guys. He just prays. Have you heard of praying Hyde? Have you heard of Reese Howells? Have you heard of the intercessors, the people who have labored? Reese Howells probably saved England in World War II. The Holy Spirit, he had a, a, a school of prayer there, and the Holy Spirit told him how to pray. And told him, what, I guess, the things that Hitler was doing. I don't remember all the details. But there are people. There are people who devote themselves to fasting. I, I can do so much more than I do myself. But I know the secret of prayer. And I pray that you will be inspired. And that you will press through. And that you, you will pray through your list. I was saying about your tape. Pray through your tape. You have a tape in your head, okay? This is, uh, you know, I forgot to buy the butter. I need to get the butter. This is important, you know, I love butter, and I gotta get the butter. Okay, thank you, Lord, for butter. Okay, just pray your tape. Pray your tape, okay? Whatever's coming up on your tape, pray about it. If it's somebody you're worried about, okay, so an issue a prayer. But what begins to happen is that after your tape is exhausted, you're gonna find that there's room for silence between you and God. And there's a whole realm of prayer that goes beyond all of those funky little details that you have to deal with before you get to a deeper place in prayer. Some of you probably know this. Because you've prayed through. You've got to pray through. There's an interesting video on YouTube about a Satanist who came to the Lord and said, we saw basically three kinds of prayer. Some people's prayers were like little puffs of smoke and they disappeared. Other people's prayers were like the beginning of them. They could get through the darkness of above. And some people's prayers were literally a holocaust. These people's prayers were just going up straight through the darkness of the, of the, of the heavenlies and they were burning. You can find this, I don't know what the name of it is, but it witnessed to my spirit. Prayer is powerful, and you can break strongholds with it. Amen. That's right. And, and he said, uh, men should pray and not faint, right? He said, this is in, what, Matthew or Luke 18? I can't remember where it is, but it's, he said, men should always pray and not faint. And what happens? God will do it suddenly. In its time, I will do it suddenly. You ever see those videos where the flower is, is coming up, those kind of time-lapse videos where the flower's coming up and the, you know, the thing is growing and growing and growing and then suddenly, bam, the flower is there. That's how God does stuff. He prepares it. He prepares it. He prepares it. He prepares it. Look at what happened with Joseph. Look at what happened with Sarah. Look at what happened with the saints of the Bible. He was preparing, preparing, preparing. And then suddenly, one day, Joseph finds himself the prime minister of Egypt. And it happens. And God says, in its time, I will do it suddenly. That's why I want you to persevere in prayer. It's okay that you're praying the same thing over and over again. It's okay that you're not seeing the result right away. If you lay hold of me, like wrestle with me like Jacob did, why? Because, because his, his whole family was at stake. This was a life and death matter. And Jesus himself came and wrestled with him. That's the kind of God that we love and serve if we love and serve him. That's who he is. He's a serious person. But he's also full of joy, full of lightheartedness.
Okay? He's not, he's not only sober-minded. He's also a god of delight, a god of, with a wonderful sense of humor. He made giraffes, he made dolphins, he made things that are just absolutely, exquisitely delightful, and we need to learn to laugh, too. That's right. And especially in Israel, because Jews have incredible sense of humor. And if you don't see the paradox in life, if you don't see the, the contradictions, the things that, you know, that cross your eyes in your life, and you don't learn how to laugh about them, there's something missing in you. You need laughter. You need joy. I need it. Amen. But get through that prayer. Get through that initial, uh, that initial season where you're, you're going nuts to try to get into the deeper place and go for the, for the deep place with God. Go for the intimate relationship with Him. Amen. You won't regret it. All right, who wants to pray now? A couple people, good. <laughs> well, we'll close up today, but we do want to invite some people over. Maybe bring the uh, mic down a little bit. Um, <clears throat> bring some people down if, if you want some prayer for prayer. Look, this is something, you know, that is not really taught on too often in, in many uh, circles, I feel. But Jesus himself said, my house isn't a house of worship even. We have a house of preaching. It's a house of prayer. Beit Tefillah, a house of prayer. He himself said it needs to be a house of prayer because through prayer is where you get into the intimacy, where you get into the conversation, where you get into the depths of things of the Lord. Don't let the enemy fool you that your voice, your emotion, your thoughts don't matter to God. They do. They absolutely do. Through prayer, mountains are moved. Through prayer, mountains are brought down, valleys are raised up. Through prayer, nations come back again. Through the articulation of the prayer of Ezekiel, the prophecy of the prayer of Ezekiel, the land of Israel was restored. It's through prayer and rejoicing and praise and thanksgiving that the Messiah will come back. Right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and he shall come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive the reward. The fires of life come to us. There's a fire that stirs the pot and brings up the dross, as the prophets say, to get rid of the myrrh, to get rid of the junk. Fire. Many regards is a type of trial, tribulation, suffering that comes into life. And what is it there for? So that the truth shall be revealed. Purity takes place. Count it not lost that we go through difficult times. As Paul said, as James from the Bible says, shall become perfect, lacking nothing. Why? Because the only thing that's left is Jesus. The only thing that's left is Jesus. It's all about perspective. I'm sorry to, I just feel the Holy Spirit is on this. It may sound a little funny, but Alan and I and our lives are, and our wives are forced to listen to a, a guy, a Navy SEAL guy, who does a podcast. And I've made mention of him before. And he talks about like, you know, when you're going through difficult times and things come up against you, his response as a Navy SEAL is good. I didn't get the job that I wanted. Good. There's a better one coming. This guy isn't even saved. Um, I, I blew out my shoulder when doing jujitsu. Good. It's an opportunity for me to strengthen my leg. We didn't get the gear when we were in Iraq that we wanted because there wasn't budgets. Good. It makes us able to train in a different way. 
So it really just spoke to my spirit about that notion of perspective. A lot of times when things happen, we immediately get down and say, oh, that's bad. It may not necessarily be bad. It could be, it's not, it's not could be. It definitely is an opportunity for you to be able to draw closer to the Lord and say, all right, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. You must actually have something better for me. You didn't get the job I wanted? Good. I get to pray and be intimate with you even more, Lord, and come to this place because I know there's something even better coming down the line. I'm going through a disease. I'm going through an opportunity. It's a time where I get to draw even deeper to you in new ways. It's all a matter of perspective. So, Father, we just declare that you are good. That your ways, even though I do not understand them sometimes, that your ways are above my understanding at times. That your ways are good. That your ways are perfect. And Father, I pray. I pray right now that we would be mobilized in our spirits to step into prayer with you. Communion with you. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what it's all about? Communion with the Father? Coming together? Fellowship? And in discussion? Father, I pray right now that we would be motivated to come to you, not out of fear, not out of... Out of fear, but out of love. To know that you want to be with us. You want to hear our voices. You want to hear our pain. You want to hear the things that we're going through. Because you're a lover. Amen. Amen.